the obelisk. The obelisk is the key. Good evening and welcome to the obelisk. Apologize for the lateness. I'll explain in a second. Tonight's guest is Joshua Kutchin, author, cryptid researcher, tubist, sousaphonist, I forget which one. <laughs> <laughs> Member of an awesome band and just an all-around great guy. Uh, Josh, welcome to the show. It's so good, good to have you back. Well, I appreciate that that kind intro, and it's it's good to be here. It's It's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, it has, like three years since we talked, I think. Um, Nish can't make it tonight. She has a personal thing going on, which is not my story to tell, as you said. So anyway, um, yeah, so Josh has been, I think, like, like in 2019 was the last time we talked. Uh, you and I were going to yeah. go ghost hunting. And yep. then it was March 2020. <laughs> yeah. And then it was, and then I think like after a while, we're like, you know, in, there was that initial sort of pandemic sort of, oh, what, let's, let's, let's hold and see what everything's going on. I think exactly. we kept, towards the end of it, we kind of set up to, we had set up another date to, to go get together and go ghost hunting. And then I think either you had a personal thing or I had a personal thing or something like that happened. And then we just sort of drifted away. Oh, well, I, I, I got sick. I got, I caught pneumonia. Oh, okay, okay. I caught whatever. I personally think it was whatever they're calling COVID was that I had that, that pneumonia thing. My kidneys failed. I had congestive heart failure. I mean, I was in the hospital for three weeks. It was, it was fucked up. Wow. So this, if anybody's listening, if this um, gives you an idea of how little Jerry i have caught up uh that's part that's at least partial news to me i, I think maybe you might have mentioned that at some no point. you knew i was in the hospital i probably yeah, didn't yeah, tell okay. you the whole story and i won't get into it now but it's it, i had a crazy experience in the hospital like crazy crazy shit happened to me like i thought people were trying to kill me kind of thing oh wow yeah okay. yeah it was crazy <laughs> no james james says that's when i entered the matrix and so. said <laughs> And our, our joke amongst our the cruising with state guys. I don't, you've never been on that show, have you? Maybe a long, a long, long, long time ago. Right, well, that like, when it was probably like twenty seventeen or eighteen. If I was, I can't remember though. Yeah, when it was actually a legit show with interviews. Now it's a shit show circus. It's hilarious. It's <laughs> it's awesome. I love doing it. But it's we don't have like guests anymore. It's just yeah, us BSing on Zoom. So, um, since we've last talked, you've written, uh, where the footprints end came out, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One and um, two. Yeah. With, uh, Tim, right? Yeah. Got sober. Um, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, wrote, uh, ecology of souls one and two and now wrote a novel. So I guess I've been busy in the interim. You have, yeah. yeah. It's a lot of work in three, four years, but. And I'm still working on my novel. I can't even get past the third chapter here so it's a different it's a different bird it um, is it's a different thing it is um yeah with its own unique set of challenges but we can get into that later if you want to or no i no, we, we could take this conversation wherever you want i'm i'm ecstatic to talk to you because i missed you i really did i know uh, <laughs> i know it's 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 been it's been sort of interesting trying to you know the that sort of 2020 uh year was a time when a lot of things a lot of like traditions and get-togethers and friendships yes. and 
so a lot of things just sort of like that was the excuse to let them go you know um and you know i thought that uh, we were briefly mentioning paramania uh, uh, before we started and for, yes. for a while i thought paramania was going to be a casualty of uh, of the pandemic but uh, we sort of mustered our forces and got together in west virginia last year and then this year uh, we got together in new england so we, we kind of through sheer will uh, brought that back into existence but yeah just a lot of things a lot of things changed you know my my wife left her her desk in march of 2020 and hasn't been back to the office except maybe like 10 times or so she's working remote so good things and bad things i suppose i've been to my headquarters once yeah. since, since uh since this all started yeah yeah i mean you know especially nowadays as long as the infrastructure stays in place which who knows how much longer that's going to happen but as long as the infrastructure is in place working from home i think is i think you wind up with happier workers and you know i i i know that you know my wife's productivity is has shot up quite a bit because she's not you know having to deal with bob across the hall who wants to stop by and talk about you right know, right video of a skunk that he saw or something you know just stuff like that <laughs> i want to see that video so cool <laughs> so um so uh look so the where the footprints end um talk a little bit about that if you can uh how does that how how is that work different from or a transition from your prior work in like the the fairy lore and like trojan feast i think was the last one in that series right or no um, no i'm sorry well, no, it, was, yeah, it, was, it was trojan feast 2015 brimstone deceit 2016 thieves That's, of the night 2018 thieves of the night that was it yeah. and i kind of wanted to take a break which i have said after every one of my books and i keep getting <laughs> roped into new projects and i remember it was after um it was after thieves in the night that i uh that i, I said i'm gonna take a break here and I, I think if memory serves i was actually at the beach then i got a message from tim renner that says said that he wanted to do the uh, definitive guide to strange bigfoot and uh i was like okay i'm in <laughs> <laughs> damn it i'm in um and uh we sort of ended up kicking that back and forth uh quite a bit and i think honestly i think we had written we had pulled you know written together written most of it before i even met tim for the first time in, in 2019 um there was just a little bit of icing to be put on the cake but um but yeah so i i had the good good fortune of meeting tim and now i have uh my wife has some 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 family members who have moved up to like within 45 minutes of tim so i'm gonna get to see a lot awesome. more of tim oh yeah a lot more of tim going forward i think um you and i met tim at the same time right at strange realities yes no well no i i had actually met tim uh earlier that year at a conference in rhode okay. island okay yeah um, i met him at the in nashville that, that year yeah um and that was actually the last time that i saw tim <laughs> no yes yes that was the last time i saw tim um, so I'm going to be seeing him again, uh, later this year, which I'm ecstatic about, but, uh, in terms of the progression to, uh, where the footprints end, um, it was sort of, it sort of ended up being a place for me to talk about a lot of the stuff involving Bigfoot that, you know, I certainly felt like didn't really have a good place to live anywhere else <laughs> um, yeah. so, so one of those things in that capacity was talking about and addressing the, the similarities between 
Bigfoot and the fairy folklore, which um, see, sounds super incongruous at first. You know, people are like little little people. Little, well, in the pop culture idea, you know, these little ladies with wings floating around mm. and Bigfoot, like those couldn't be farther from farther from each other. But that they really um, have a lot of the have a lot of shared DNA, if I dare say it, um, involved. You know, to the extent that like, there are plenty of modern you know fairy encounters that describe fairies as being little short hairy beings which you know all the cryptozoologists want to call little foot it's like well you know maybe it, it's a juvenile bigfoot or it's a subspecies of bigfoot or you know it's harkening back to this older tradition um that a lot of people had of these little people you know being sort of small and and having some of these simian features and in fact a lot of that a lot of the the lore involving household spirits like brownies in scotland or goblins in france or the peckenderlin in germany you'll find references to them being like you know small little ape-like creatures so from there it's just a you know from there it's just a hop skip and a jump to like okay well the fairies are shapeshifters and size shifters then it seems you know not entirely out of the possible realm of possibility that these things are at least somehow related and then you get more granular and it's like oh this is <laughs> there's totally something shared here <laughs> my favorite example of that is the the braided horse manes you know uh-huh. a lot of cryptozoologists will say that well not a lot but there is a subset of cryptozoologists will say that bigfoot steal into stables and braid horses manes after you know after dark and obviously a lot of that is people not brushing their horses manes out like i'm, I'm acknowledging that yeah. Yeah. but um but at the same time it's interesting to see that that same sort of phenomena was blamed on you know, witches and fairies yeah. in Western Europe. So it's like, well, you know, it's kind of like we're just sort of, we just sort of substitute our boogeyman depending on what our culture finds, you know, palatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's probably the, the shared connective tissue that, and, you know, a big part of those books was, was addressing these anomalous lights in, in conjunction with Bigfoot, which are straight out of so much fairy folklore. Yeah, absolutely. Are you familiar with, um, I can't remember her name, but she does a, has a website. Um, I think it's, saucers over cashiers yeah um or something like that. i'm trying is it like janice carter k or something like that I'm not, you're gonna make I'm me not, i can't i can't remember her name um but she also she also wrote um she also wrote this great book so that website is i say this in the most loving way skyships over cashiers skyships over cashiers um uh, I say this in the most loving way possible. That website is bonkers, and I love oh, yeah. it for that. Yeah. Um, because you know me, I'm a fan of the bonkers stuff. Um, mm-hmm. She also wrote an interesting book that I haven't yet really sat down and read. I've skimmed through it, and I have a copy, but it's called um, Cherokee Little People Were Real that basically puts forth yeah. the, the, <laughs> the story at the heart of the book is that um, there's was basically a conspiracy to demolish fairy dwellings underneath Western Carolina University, which is a campus that I spent a lot of time at in honor bands in high school and, uh, you know, <laughs> band competitions and stuff. And it's just, it, it's just such a, again, a lovely bonkers idea, but there's some, there, there's some gems in terms of her speaking with indigenous informants and stuff in that yeah. book that are, that are good as well. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, she's definitely someone whose body of work seems to suggest that there is, you know, something connecting all these different things yeah, for certain. Absolutely. Well, cool. That's cool. So, um, I don't know if you answered my question or if I made it state it right. So, oh yeah, you're, you did. You're you did. Asking, you did. Yeah, you know, you did answer. Yeah, you said you were burned out. Not not in all those. Not in the same amount of words. But I mean, that, that's what I'm out. realizing is that I'm always burned out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
but uh after after we went to that uh was it expedition bigfoot was that where we had the talks yeah the bigfoot museum yep, after talking in, uh, cherry to log that, yeah yes yes after talking to that bfro guy the the guy was running that place XBR. I'm not sure if he was affiliated with BF. He was he was ex BFRO. Ex BFRO, okay. yeah. Yeah. And he told me this story about the floating Bigfoot mm-hmm. and the poltergeist stuff. It's like that's when we're like I I wonder if if I I know you heard that story and I'm I'm really curious if if that planted the seed for where the footprints end. No, the footprints was all Tim's idea. Was it okay? Um, yeah, and, and originally he wanted to sort of do a, a glossary or an encyclopedia style thing and. You know, it got kind of Josh Cutchenized, I guess. <laughs> you know, in notes and narratives, and um, but yeah, but uh, but you know, it's but at the same time, hearing that from from uh, Dave Picara, um, and I've had the chance to meet and speak with Dave on a couple of other occasions since then. Um, hearing that from him just goes to show you how sort of sanitized the world of cryptozoology wants to make these yes. things. You know, um. And, you know, just <laughs> just the other just the other day, I met someone who was trying to think of the most delicate way to put this so as to not out them, but um, someone who was working in a capacity um, that demanded that they sort of ascribe to the flesh and blood hypothesis of Bigfoot. And he said, you know, it's kind of our official policy that uh, Bigfoot is a relic hominid, but I'm really into the to the paranormal Bigfoot stuff. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's just. It's kind of like um why can't it be both? Yeah, I mean why can't it, that's you know that's I have a way to eat, have my cake and eat it too, you know, I compare it to the Mike Cleveland owl stuff, you know, Mike says that you talk to Mike and Mike doesn't think that every owl is is a UFO owl, right? Like there are real owls out there, but something about the owl uh seems very attractive to whatever's behind the UFO phenomenon and I would argue that there's a way to sort of reconcile you know the idea of a relic hominid with that within that sort of framework too you know that mm. it just you know just as the ufo phenomenon seems to appropriate the image of the deer or the owl or you know some of these other animals it also ha- loves appropriating the idea of this the image of this small band of <laughs> of relic hominids somewhere in the pacific northwest and that's my that's my have your cake and eat it too so there's there's strange bigfoot and there's also you know quote-unquote mundane bigfoot as mundane as bigfoot could be yeah, yeah. Ape, the swamp ape or skunk ape yeah. skunk ape yeah you're in skunk ape territory i am a skunk of, ape. Yeah. in uh on cruising with steak we have this we have a hate mail segment um it's 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 a joke i mean we we let anyone can write anything and we will read it on the air and uh for like the last four years i've been writing these faux hate mails from this guy from Norway <laughs> who's palling around with an alien in a flying saucer and they just go to different places and do different shit and uh, part of that lore is that they captured Stinky Bigfoot i.e. the skunk ape in Florida and he married this guy's sister <laughs> and they had a baby <laughs> this uh horrifically deformed half human half bigfoot baby it's a, it's a hair very hairy baby tiny tiny baby, tiny baby Sven. yeah uh <laughs> that's the dude's name oh man on my cha- on my youtube channel i have a uh a compilation of like the first two years of his emails 
If, that's if, amazing. If you got an hour to waste, it's worth a worth a listen. You know, I, I used to listen to so many paranormal podcasts, and it's just I would say the past probably post pandemic. Now that I think about it, it's just absolutely exploded. Um, in terms of the number of podcasts that there are to listen to, and I've just kind of just tuned out there's there's literally not enough hours in the day and i like i try to listen to stuff voraciously like i'm listening while i'm obviously in a car but like while i'm doing menial tasks or while i'm doing research as best i can and there's just there's literally not enough time yeah i i can't remember the last time i actually listened to any kind of non or alternate media podcast i've been i've been so focused on like medical stuff for the last three years right like uh right in terms of the pandemic that i mm-hmm. i've ignored everything else that's been happening so yeah i'm, you I'm know, happy that that's waning now and i can get back into some other stuff yeah um yeah i was i was with some some friends and uh we were at a house and we don't have cable here um good for you and it was it was so wild watching, like actually watching like NBC or ABC News, one of these big news outlets, yeah, and gross. like seeing how every story gets like three minutes and then they're on to the next thing. I'm like, that's not nearly enough time to unpack everything <laughs> no. in this story. No. You know, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of an uncanny feeling that and seeing ads like, you know, uh, I know it's crazy how many there are. Yeah, I think you know the ad that's been spamming me on YouTube is like, what is it, Timo or Timu or something? This this ad for like this oh Tom, off-brand yeah, disc, yeah. yeah. Um, so like, there's like a there's like a handful of things, you know, that that you hear over and over again on YouTube. But like to just sit there and be inundated with ads for like four minutes is is also kind of a surreal thing too. And you, it, I mean, you know, so there's this, you know, I went to journalism school, and there's this idea that uh, that everyone thinks that advertising doesn't affect them this has been sort of quote unquote proven in social sciences everyone thinks that advertising doesn't affect them but advertising affects everyone equally once you like map it all out which is kind of a creepy uncanny thing to think that you know even even if you don't think it's affecting you it's affecting you um but i do think that like after having not seen like after you sort of cut the cord on cable and you step back to it you're like i feel like i just stepped out of and then back into this surreal other reality. And it's like, this is, you know, all the jokes and the ads land flat and stuff like that. I'm sure I know people didn't come here to talk about <laughs> modern media marketing, but. No, I mean, it's, it's a, everything's interesting. Um, <clears throat> cool. So um, The Ecology of Souls, I'm not familiar with that book what, or volumes actually. What t- what's going on with that? What's that about? How did that come about? Well, um I, uh, I've been thinking about this book for probably, you know, five or so years by the point that it came out. And, uh, you know, there's, there are a couple of things that always bugged me, um, things that got stuck in the back of my mind and I kept returning back to and saying, you know, how do I reconcile this? Um, and one of them was, that famous quote from Ann Streber. Um, she's getting a lot of correspondence from people after communion comes out and she writes on a piece of paper, this has something to do with what we call death. And that's a statement that, that Whitley's returned to subsequently throughout every one of his nonfiction books. Yeah. For like so the that, last that, uh, three or four years, he's been on that. Yeah, he's, he has. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's, it's popped up like <laughs> 
in order to to even address the subject matter in ecology of souls i had to like do just a chapter just devoted to whitley's output on the subject because like that specific motif of death and the visitors is just so deep in his work um so that that always stuck with me um you know the fact that one of the things to come out of those letters that were received from communion one of the things that led Anne to say that was the fact that people were seeing dead loved ones in alien abductions which you know does not jive at all with the extraterrestrial hypothesis in my opinion um and uh it's something that you know i wouldn't say it happens in most of these cases but it happens enough that it could be considered a pretty strong subset um so that was something that i always wanted to sort of reconcile the other thing is um two books that i consider sort of foundational to my my work um sort of left something on the table i feel like regarding this topic specifically and I'll, I'll elaborate on that um one of those is george p hansen's the trickster and the paranormal which talks about um obviously <laughs> this trickster archetype um and uh he talks quite a bit about some figures like hermes um and there's you know and, and how like you know the sort of trickster aspects um manifest throughout uh different subsets of the paranormal but it's never really addressed that hermes is a psychopomp he's one of these figures that leads you across the threshold of death um and so i felt like there was a good opportunity to sort of take a look at ufos through that psychopomp lens and then the other thing is passport to magonia you know jacques Vallée's 1969 yep. book he does a great job of of showing this connection between ufo lore and the fairy folklore but prior to the rise of theosophy um if you talked to a lot of you know these populations that believed in fairies they would have a close association with the fairies and the dead as well so if you sort of think about that sort of transitive property if if the dead are the fairies and the fairies are the ufo occupants um without really saying any of those those interpretations is correct you know stepping back from that what does that say about ufo occupants well it implies that there's some connection to to death there as well so um i have a unifying honest, uh, i have a unifying theory for you too that will okay that we could talk about when you're done. well this is sort of what that ended up being for me um because i just i just wanted to look at the ufo angle but it became very apparent that you had to talk about things like near-death experiences and monuments and altered states of consciousness and it sort of ended up being you know the subtitle for ecology of souls is, is a new mythology of death and the paranormal and, and that i realized how pretentious that sounds you know a new mythology but it ended up being so comprehensive in terms of the way that it addressed a lot of these different topics. I mean, there's even a, a you know, a chapter, the longest chapter in the book, if you can believe it, because I have several chapters devoted to UFOs, so whatever, but like the longest chapter in the book is, is the cryptid chapter, because there are plenty of connections that you can draw um, between cryptids and death as well. And so it's just, it ended up being this really comprehensive thing. And what I, it's a snapshot of the way that I felt um, last year, <laughs> the past three years about, how these things might be interrelated but um what it's really done for me is it's 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 proven to kind of be a flexible framework too um where i can incorporate new data and it still kind of makes sense and it's also allowed me to sort of reconcile a lot of things about the paranormal that i didn't really know what to do with like um a classic example that i like to go to is these stories of ufos that transform into or out of birds mm. <laughs> it's like what do you do with that you know if if you believe that the witness isn't crazy, um, you know, isn't and isn't hallucinating and isn't lying to you, if if you if you actually take the witness at their face value, what do you do with that? And then 
that whole idea of the UFO becoming a bird makes a lot more sense when you sort of look at, okay, well, Carl Jung talked about the circle as a symbol of totality and the soul. And there's this long-standing tradition of orbs of light being the human soul. And the bird is also a symbol of the human soul. So it really sort of, the Holy Ecology of Souls model allowed me to sort of make some peace with that. And it's like I've, I've said to people, I don't know if this is objectively what's going on with the paranormal, but it it has granted me some degree of of peace with a lot of these things that I find confusing, and it works for me. Um, and honestly, Jerry, I'll be out. I mean, like there was a period of time right after I released it where I was like, I could I could walk away from all this and you know not have to write another book ever Black, again. Blackpilled. Um, well, not, not really blackpilled, <laughs> but. But just, um, but just like I, feel, I felt like I'd said my piece. Like I don't know how you would follow it up. Now, obviously, what I ended up doing was writing a novel because that's the only thing that I can think about doing as a follow up. And I've, I'm working on three other projects now that are all back to my nonfiction roots. But um, it really was one of those moments where it's like I, this is kind of all that I have to say on the paranormal in this two volume set. Um, and three volume set if you want to get the end notes. Yeah. And honestly. From my perspective, that's admirable. Because uh, if you look at people like, not that I'm dissing his work, but Redfern, Nick Redfern, he writes decent books, but he just got to put one out every year. You know, he's he cranks them out and he'll just recover or cover again the same old story. I mean, how many books do we need about Roswell? Yeah, and you know, I I I, I admire Nick. Nick's model seems to be very savvy in the sense that a lot of the things that he ends up writing about has sort of been, he sort of does the research for them through blog posts or through articles for other websites. Yeah. And then they get, they get sort of reincorporated into this framework. And honestly, if you, if you, if you look at what he writes with that in mind, you can kind of predict his next books. Um, but yeah, you know, I just, I, I um I have noticed that I tend to write really long books. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ecolo Ecology of Souls altogether is about two hundred sixty thousand words. Um, uh, but you know, at the same time, like I I just feel like um I say this with all the love in my heart for the paranormal community. There aren't a lot of folks who are committed to giving these topics the amount of depth and and frankly, breadth, but also the amount of depth and the amount of nuance that I think that they deserve. You know, there's a lot of 60,000 word books about, you know, a flap of sightings in some area or about something that's like, well, no, you can, you can go further with this. You know, you can go, you can go further, like take the interdisciplinary approach, look through, you know, scholarly journals and bring in some sort of topic that you, you wouldn't even normally think of to, to, you know, to talk about this, this other phenomena through a different lens. And I think that, I wish that there was more of that, but there isn't too much. I do too. I do too. <clears throat> so um, my 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 hypothesis about the connection between all those things is that uh, if you take a step back and look at how we process, how we see, how humans see through their eyeballs, we receive energy, frequencies, and whatnot through our eyes and our brain formats that into an image, right? So right. over the course of time, our consciousness is the collective consciousness changes in what to expect in our reality. So 
200 years ago, whatever energy represents a fairy was thought of as a fairy. And this goes back to your first set of books. Um, today, these days, since, you know, whenever, 1930s, 40s, aliens are, are more the, the thing, to, you know, that's in our consciousness as, mm-hmm. as a construct. Mm-hmm. Whatever energy presented to us as fairies now presents as, quote-unquote, aliens or greys. I'm super sympathetic to that. I mean, you know, I, I think that people get me backwards or they, they try to, they misinterpret what I say a lot of times where they think that I'm saying that, oh no, these modern aliens, we're, we're actually mistaking them. They're, they're actually, they're actually fey folk. And that's not what I'm saying, nor am I saying that, nor am I saying that people, you know, in yesteryear were misinterpreting extraterrestrials for fairies. I'm saying that like much in the sentiment that you just expressed, um, the thing at its heart is the objective reality of the thing is the same exactly. throughout. Exactly. It's just, it's, it's our interpretation or our framework or some mechanism like you described. That's mm-hmm. the thing that's changing. And, you know, something I, I find really interesting that might be worth exploring was, you know, well, if this, if, if our interpretation of this energy has uh, continued to evolve, um, we should be seeing, uh, when will we see the next iteration of it? Exactly. You know? So, so you can say, okay, well, maybe we thought of them all as, as you know, spirits in that sort of um, very animistic sort of sense, and then we thought of them as fairies, and then we thought of them as as UFO knots. What's the next thing? And I think there's a cogent case to be made. Um, I believe it was Martin Kottmeyer who put this out there, but um, I mean, it sounds like something brilliant that he would say. He's one of the great unsung UFO historians that's still with us, but um. But I think there's an argument to be made that the next iteration will be something AI based, um, yeah. meaning again that the energy remains the same, but like what we apply to it is like you know, yes. the abduction narrative will shift from extraterrestrials coming down in a spaceship and entering our room and having big heads and big eyes. It will shift to like oh the the you know the uh, the Val- AI robots Val- the Val- AI robots yeah hell of Valis maybe <laughs> but like you know the the AI robots um, came from their underground base and they took me you know yep. I think that that might be something that we see um, and might even be able to see in our lifetime. The the phenomenon itself, it seems to have remained relatively stable in terms of its presentation for the past 30 or 40 years, I would argue, you know, with minor variations and minor updates here. Now we're talking about Tic Tacs instead of, you know, Art Nouveau flying saucers. But I think that in our lifetimes, we may very well see, you know, the the trope of the greys coming into your bedroom and taking you, changing into something barely recognizable you know it, if, if if that sort of a shift is going to happen it's going to happen in the 2020s you know i i remember yeah absolutely remember, it, yeah in some way that's already happened or i'm sorry that's already that transition i believe is already happening because yeah. a lot of ufo researchers will tell you the grays are actually androids or robots or meat suits that <laughs> that are controlled by the reptilians i mean that's one of the big tropes out there that they're not organic beings or lab grown consciousness suits, you know, or whatever avatars. Yeah. And, you know, every, there's so much AI. I mean, I say this in a sympathetic way because I think it does pose some problems, but there's so much AI hysteria out there that I can see people, you know, going down that route too. The other thing that I think might supplant it might be this sort of time traveler idea, which has been around for a long time, sure. but is recently seeing sort of a resurgence as well. And that would, 
certainly fit in with the eschatology of of the 2020s absolutely it's it's interesting you brought that up because i've been so in my transition out of (laughs) medical ocd podcasting uh podcast listening um i've started to get back into the whole project phoenix rainbow montauk project you know Mm -hmm. exploring that some more and a big part of that is the time travel aspect right uh, I don't know if you know much about that, and I won't get into it because it's you know, deep. But I tr- I try to you know one of the things one of the projects I thought about writing um, before ecology was sort of a a definitive guide to missing time, and even the topic of I have a friend who works at JPL, and I was talking to him about it, and even just the concept of time dilation breaks my brain, um, and so I I that that's the biggest piece of the puzzle that i don't even touch on in ecology of souls really is is the time component and the time component does play some sort of a role in these sort of extended consciousness encounters whatever you want to call them um and again like i'm I'm of the mindset where i have trouble distinguishing an alien abduction from a shamanic initiation from a near-death experience from a you know a dmt trip from exactly. a visit with the fairies like they all seem to be the same modality with just different you know garnish on top um but there's something about time in these different modalities that plays a role and i'm just i'm ill-equipped to address it i just don't have the the mental bandwidth <laughs> to do that yeah um <clears throat> there's a there are a couple of uh alleged time travelers that are public uh, like or that worked in government time travel programs that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, uh preston nichols and bielik from montauk you know they're one right. uh andrew basiago or basago from project uh what was that project called pegasus project pegasus where he allegedly saw lincoln speak you know but then you have the lore people like John Teeter, <laughs> the guy who came back in the pickup yeah. truck. Remember that? Yep, yep, but, yep. The, you know, the, the, uh, yep. do you know Eric? You know Eric Wargo, War- right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he might be a good collaborator for a time book. Oh, I, I'm not fit to tie Eric's shoes, I don't think. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's, I kind of have the same feeling like I did. I was approached. A number of years ago about collaborating with chris albeck on something and i'm like i you don't want to work with me mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, you know I'm, I'm a hack um but uh but yeah i you know and uh my thing about a lot of the our current my, my biggest problem with a lot of the current time travel dialogue not the michael masters stuff because that seems to be well put together but um a lot of the other stuff gets real secret super soldier adjacent real quick and yeah. i just have a hard i just have a hard time buying too, into those narratives too, you know? they yes. sound they sound a little bit they're a little bit too star wars for me and that's when i check out you know whenever you know i i believe experiencers probably to a fault but when you start getting into these elaborate what i call it the star wars syndrome where you're like you know the the Chobani Empire <laughs> was was collaborating with the you know Zebel Ganubians and then they had a war but there was you know genetic tampering and they had to kill them with dehydration guns. I'm like this is this is just sounding a little too Hubbard for me, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, I I completely agree with that. Those those people, I don't know what delusion they're under or what 
what actual program they're <laughs> they're in. Well, you know, is it an op? Is it? I don't know. Is it? You know what? I, I don't know what to do with it either. So I yeah. kind of, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't touch it because I'm afraid of it or because I'm yeah. necessarily prejudiced with. It. I just don't know what to make of it. You know, and, I mean, and there's no way for us to get answers. It's either right. it's either, it's all hearsay up until a point, and then it's like I, I, I you're right, completely, un, yeah, c- completely unfalsifiable. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, there's, um, yeah, know. there's nothing you could, <laughs> nothing you could do there. And yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was way into that when. 10 years ago or whatever 15 oh years ago. i'll i'll listen to it and i'll yeah. eat it up in that sort of like you know cinema popcorn sort of way like this is just a fun story but um in terms of like actually it's it's i mean honestly there are a couple of topics like this that are sort of i wouldn't say that they're no fly zones for me but they are just areas of the conversation where there's so much noise and so much dialogue that I just don't have any retention for it. I mean, honestly, honestly, Roswell's the same way. Like if you want to have a podcast on Roswell, I'm probably the least qualified guest that you could get on it because there's just been so many stories and there's been so much conflicting stuff and it kind of goes in one ear and out the other for me. And, you know, I just don't think that I have anything to add to that conversation, you know, um, beyond, you know, we're, referring to redfern again i really am i I do think that there's something to his his body snatchers in the desert hypothesis oh absolutely Uh, i i i adore his work i was just making the the point that he he will churn out novel or book after book oh yeah no i i i took what you were saying in the right way um but you know but like that's for me to get really engaged with the roswell stuff it has to be a real um overturning of the apple cart you know what i mean like it has to be something yeah. that just kind of comes out of nowhere and is like you know upends everything that we know yeah and that that's kind of why i liked his take on it being japanese experimental plane or whatever it was there's a good trope yeah. going around youtube right now on ufo twitter i'm uh, sorry not on you on twitter on ufo twitter Ugh. there's a good trope going around on twitter on you in the ufo twitter community about um how did aliens travel light years across the galaxy to visit us in 1947 only to get disabled by radar <laughs> you know yeah. yeah yeah i thought that was funny yeah. that's cool yeah yeah i mean that's 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 sort of the the skeptical and that's you know a lot of the reason that i i'm in this i'm in this pickle right and this is kind of the where the footprints end pickle it's where you end up sympathizing so much with the skeptical arguments but you also talk to people who you have beyond a shadow of a doubt this feeling that they saw something genuinely strange and what do you do with that and uh you know and it's it's like that's one of the, why i say it's the where the footprints in pickle um is because you know uh the skeptics will say things like well you know uh we don't have a body <laughs> and we don't have good footage and so how do you square that with this being you know predominantly you know i know we left some wiggle room earlier but how do you square that with this being an animal and even the cryptozoologists like i, I know their comebacks to the comeback i know their comebacks to the complaints and it's always like you know well we don't have many people don't often stumble upon the bodies of bears or the bodies of cougars and I'm like yeah but people have in the course of human history and it has you know <laughs> and i know that there are these allegations that bigfoot bear they're dead or the government swoops in to confiscate the bodies but at the same time like i remain sympathetic to that skeptical argument and at the same time um i've experienced some odd bigfoot adjacent stuff and i know people i've spoken with people who are completely 
beyond a shadow of a doubt convinced that they've seen something like Bigfoot. Um, and so, yeah, to that end, I, I, I really resonate with a lot of those skeptical arguments about, you know, if they're so sophisticated, why, why are they always crashing? <laughs> they really do. And it's, and it's like, it's like very much like every, every country has its own wild man. Yes. It has its own Bigfoot. Every country kind of has its UFO crash or yeah. multiple UFO crashes, you know, depending on the size of the country. So um, that's that's what leaves me saying, okay, well, maybe there's something else going on here. And maybe something else is, you know, maybe it makes more sense to compare, you know, a quote-unquote UFO crash to um, a Mount Sinai moment or to sermon on the mountain moment or to you know um muhammad's tour of the heavens moment than right. it does to um than it does to little green scientists from another planet being hapless and crashing all the time did you see that uh, video that's circulating with the bigfoot they saw the train window the train yeah i just saw that one yeah i mean it's again too far away to make any detail out and it's it's like uh... I don't know what to make yeah, of this. Yeah, and they, they zoomed in, and it kind of looks like the Jack Link's beef jerky Sasquatch mm-hmm. um, face. <laughs> you know, I just... And that's the thing that, you know, I just... You're, you're lucky that you caught me on a, a bit of of uh, paranormal footage that I actually had seen, because most of it, like... <laughs> it's the only I one I've seen. give two shits, you yeah. know? It's, I just... The last thing I saw was those stupid aliens in... Where was it? Texas or whatever that... Or... God, the Mexican, the Mexican mummies, yes. the Mexican mummies. No, 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 no. Yeah. That was nonsense. The uh, the the eight foot tall aliens that landed in the backyard. I think in, it was in Vegas. Was it Vegas? I don't remember. Yeah. Was there footage of that? Allegedly. I mean, so a lot of people were sort of poo pooing that whole incident, um, and maybe it's come out as an ironclad hoax or whatever. But the fact that there is that body camera footage of of an asteroid landing. And for a moment, everything felt very like, you know, 1970s humanoid report. <laughs> it kind of like, it kind of warmed my heart a little bit. So I want it to be true. Um, but, you know, even that had some some paranormal aspects that didn't really make it to the the tellings of the, the story. I mean, the, the kid uh, who was involved in the sighting said that his family came inside and they heard a sound like, rain or footsteps on the roof yeah. something to that extent you know tim and i wrote extensively about bigfoot and things jumping on your roof but also mm-hmm. you know whitley talks about the visitors kind of sounding like a rain shower coming in on mm-hmm. his roof sometimes but then the family prayed away the they prayed away the aliens <laughs> and it's like good for them okay well that that doesn't make it to national news does it because that's just not part of the the yeah, extraterrestrial but, narrative but was maybe. it effective or were they just done tormenting those people or, you know or or or, <laughs> or or were the aliens like oh no they're gonna they're gonna start preaching at us we gotta get out of here exactly <laughs> i bet they have purple hair but you know it, but it, but it's it is something that like God, that, that just didn't really make that aspect didn't make it out there and of, and of course it didn't but you know yeah, but it yeah. is interesting this it is interesting to sort of monitor the disclosure discussion and to see how it always sort of retreats to spiritual warfare you know yeah, well, there's that that whole faction of people who are in that camp. But uh, yeah, this whole disclosure thing. Uh, again, I don't think there's anything to disclose. I don't think they know anything, and if they do, they're not going to tell us. And uh, for the most part, all the nuts and bolts stuff that they've got videos of and whatnot, 
are, are probably military industrial complex black projects or if admiral bird was to be believed it's whatever civilization is down in antarctica yeah i mean i've, I've spoken about this in a couple other places but you know i just i i try i'm try, i find myself trying to be more charitable to the whole disclosure movement nowadays i don't think that grush was lying in the testimony um I'm not sure that he isn't being used by someone to put a narrative out there. Um, I do think that the hearings had an audience that stretched far beyond the the citizenry of the United States of America. Um, uh, I, I think that I do think that I, I, I know some people will think that I'm sounding like a sect in this regard, but I don't think it makes much sense to expect anything to come out of this particular um this particular disclosure season. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, everybody was very excited about some of this language that was inserted into the NDAA about, you know, uh, the U S government having to disclose it's non-human intelligence and non-human right. craft. And they're like, Oh, it's mo it's modeled after the language that they use to disclose the Kennedy documents. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's, let's look at the Kennedy documents then, you know, 99% has been released. Um, but the question number one is, what's in that 1% that wasn't released. And number two, that 99% has been so redacted that it's hard to make heads or tails of a exactly. lot of it. But, but I will say this, um, there is a general consensus among the public that something is strange with the Kennedy assassination. And I think that, oh. that, 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 that sense, I think is more prevalent and widespread than it was even like 10 years ago. There are more people who are like, yeah, there's something strange going on with that. And I think that's that's probably if again, um, predictions like this age like milk, right? You know, <laughs> but right. but but I think that like if if something comes out of this disclosure season, it will be something akin to that where it's like, okay, well, we all have a sense now that something strange is going on. But as far as like getting something specific as to exactly what it is, I don't think it's forthcoming, you know. No, um, and I think it's <sighs> Whether it's real or not, whatever it is, and the disclosure movement is just going to lead to space weaponry. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. I, I, mean, I think that's... that's the ultimate goal there is just so they can get money to build shit to put in space. I mean, you know, it's that's that's it's the um, every one of the every one of the aliens films you know always ends up not not as a genre but i mean specifically the alien franchise started with ridley scott's films like it's, it's always about weaponization you know yeah that's that's the lesson of those movies is that it's always about finding a way to weaponize stuff you know yeah it's crazy well, that's, yeah, no, that's where we that's that's the corner that we we painted ourselves into you know it's interesting stuff i remember back in 2017 when uh oh god who was it Oh, that guy I don't like. Mike Mike Hughes? Michael Hughes? Is that his name? If, if that's who you're talking about. No. The witch, no. witch guy? Mike, yeah. Uh, the, Mike Hughes is, yeah. Yeah, he was on uh, on Soraya's show talking about the, that first New York Times article about that. I, rem I remember listening to that and thinking, wow, these people really are buying it. <laughs> they, yeah, I they mean, were like, at the same time, you know, I want to defend that that sort of standpoint because the 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 conversation has changed between 
2017 and now in terms of the normies that I can approach about the UFO topic. Like there was something that ended up being a thawing effect from that, um, which I, which, you know, I was initially very critical of like, Oh, this, this article isn't telling us anything new, but at the same time um, it, I, I have noticed in my own personal interactions with people, um, even, <laughs> even people who are very much predisposed to not even entertain this idea prior to that, um, it was this sort of, there has been an opening up to actually talk about and engage with the UFO idea seriously. Now, I will say, you know, that there is a, I find, I see a big problem with that sort of thinking that, oh, we've get, been given permission by a respectable authority source to talk about this. So now we can talk about it. I mean, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like what happened with Michael Pollan and the whole psychedelic renaissance, you know, that happened a couple of years ago. It's like, oh, well, now this is a respectable topic. We can talk about it now. And they're not really paying attention to the you know thousands of years of indigenous testimony or, or all those psychonauts that came before us. You know, it's like, oh, well, we've gotten permission from the establishment to talk about exactly. these things. That's, that's something that I do think that the Times article did for better or worse. I think, you know, so. It legitimized it in the eyes of the public. <clears throat> right so so for, for those of us who've been following the topic it's like well this doesn't really do anything but for everyone else it's like you know oh we have permission to talk about this so. thank you gary for the super chat uh yeah uh i forgot what i was gonna say now damn it oh you were talking about more people are believing in kennedy shenanigans and i, I wanted to add the moon landing to that as well a lot of people are questioning how that <laughs> could have happened i i feel like i've heard a lot more of that too lately yeah yeah um i mean if you seriously look at it and investigate it it's nonsense they know they're that first one i don't know what happened after that. i'm talking about that very first one was all not legit yeah you know I, my one of the things that i've i've always heard that always made a lot of sense to me was that and i think this would almost have to be the case to a certain degree was that there was some sort of footage that was filmed in the event that there was a disaster. Um, now, you know, whether or not that got used or not, you know, um, but, you know, I think that there's, there's, I think that's an interesting thing to pursue for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, but I think this is also, you know, um, an inflection point of, <laughs> so, so this is sort of indicative. This is, this is a good little riff. Um, you know, our faith and our trust in everything has just been absolutely shattered. Um, yes. And I, uh, I was at a panel at a conference and we were talking about, um, we were talking about just the whole disclosure thing. And I said, you know, I said, you're never getting disclosure. Do you know why? <laughs> and I said, okay, think of the person that you didn't vote for in the last election. Now think that they won and now think that they're telling you that aliens are real <laughs> do you believe them the answer is no nobody does yes. you know yes. uh everyone's opinion is so strong and calcified in, in every single direction that uh that you know the, the, your, your past disclosure there's never going to be any trust that the trust in all our institutions is so fundamentally broken you know and you have to wonder if that was done on purpose in, yeah. in some regard not not yeah. overall government direction but a group you know and a, i'm i'm a big proponent of hanlon's razor as opposed to occam's razor remind me of hanlon's razor that's that, uh, the stupidity malice thing yes do not attribute yeah. to malice what could be attributed to stupidity 
Um, I think that's a majority of things going on and that there's a group within that knows how to manipulate that stupidity into their own. Or or the other thing is that, um, you know, the other idea is that things were always this disorganized and this deceptive. Yes, yes. And we're just now finding out about them, you know. Which feeds into the whole Great Awakening <laughs> narrative that's out there. You know, is that really happening? Or are we just, do we feel this way yeah, because you know, we're I, getting, yeah. you know, more aware? Or is it just more blatant? Well, I, I'm saying this not to call anyone out who didn't do this. But, um, and again, like, if you want to get smashed, believe me, like, a part of my heart is right there with you. But, um. I feel like a lot of people 2020 wrong. And what I mean by that is like, if there was ever a point to upend your life in a different direction, that was the moment to do it. <laughs> and, and that's what I ended up doing, you know, checking myself into rehab. Um, and, uh, you know, I, that's why I say, I don't think a lot of people capitalized on that. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back in that regard. And I'm not trying to say that everybody has to get sober. I'm not saying that either, but I do think that, Man, if there was going to be an opportunity for that, you know, when everything is turned upside down, that was the that was the moment to do it. So I'm kind of glad that it it took hold um, during that year. Granted, it was at the tail end of it, but um, yeah, yeah. it's uh, a shame that so many people took the opposite approach and said, "I'm going to become yeah. a hermit and play video games or whatever, whatever." You know, the the whole. Well, and you know what? Like I've I've noticed myself in my personal life, like like uh social interactions post 2020 are much more draining than they were <laughs> beforehand you know very much so um you know e- even though I, I want to return to you know that sort of normalcy um i just i i spend a small amount of time half the amount of time that i normally would with a group of people i'm like okay i am tapped out on people for, <laughs> for a while you know it's it's um, <clears throat> i think it's just too much energy from all those people at least that's my perception of it that uh being around that many people is just such an energetic input that you're not your body's not used to anymore yeah because I mean, of the I, limited I that, social interaction i mean that's been my perspective well and you know pile onto it the heightened tensions and pile yeah, onto yeah. it the uh you know the fear there there are people who aren't speaking their mind and there are people who are speaking too much of their mind and you know it seems like it's either one of those two extremes nowadays and there's no gentle balance because there's there's such balkanization between groups of of everything now everything's so split and so divided it's crazy yeah i mean even like you know something as innocuous as something that i used to be into which is not not post disney um honestly but you know the star wars fandom like oh like, yeah it used to be like oh, it used yeah. to be like you know they used to gobble up everything that was put in front of them and yes. now it's like it's so like divisive it's crazy <laughs> don't even get me started on ahsoka <laughs> yeah i you know i i i've i i was on board i even you know sort of granted a a bit of faith that there was some direction for the sequel trilogy through the last Jedi, but you know, the rise of rise of Skywalker came out and I'm like, Oh, okay. So I've, I've lived long (laughs) enough to just see this turn into garbage. Okay, cool. Okay. So this is not, this is not my thing anymore. And I just sort of, you know, dude, you know, the force is female now. Well, it's just, 
I just can't believe that a giant franchise devolved into two directors like having a call and response of of fixing each other's mistakes or what they perceived as mistakes it's just like you guys had no idea what was gonna what was gonna no, happen they've, they've destroyed the brand and uh, yeah it's, it's it's astonishing to see it's killing it disney right now too i mean yeah i was i was super deep into the star wars stuff yeah um, me too and you know but part of that too i think is you know this the same people who would have beaten me up for knowing the word Mandalorian are now like <laughs> tuning, are now tuning into the Mandalorian every week. You know, it's it's become as mainstream as football. Um, and there's an inner sort of hipster part of me that's kind of like, well, eh, <laughs> you know, it's I I was I liked it more when you know it was sort of my thing. You know, <clears throat> I've noticed that with some of the UFO crew too. It's like you know, I was I was into UFOs. Like, I don't want to talk about UFOs with normal people, you know, after after years and years and years of right. wishing normal people would talk about <laughs> UFOs. Now it's become this trendy thing. You know, like, have you seen the Tic Tac video? And it's like, I just don't. <laughs> I totally know that feeling. It's like, yeah, people want to talk to me about something. I'm like, oh, not this again. Yeah. But yes, I get it. I get it. Speaking of uh, of not ruined shows, have you seen One Piece on Netflix? I have not. It's excellent. Okay. I'll excellent. check it out. And everyone listening, is, highly recommend it. I, I, I've gotten my heart broken on, on series too often. Um, I agree. Yeah. They get canceled. I get can and Netflix is really bad about that. I'll never forget the fact that, um, like the day after, um, the dark crystal series won an Emmy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, canceled. yeah, no season two. And it's like, what are you talking about? I just I get tired of I get tired of of seeing these storylines get teased as having some sort of closure and they just never do you know. Um, Did you ever see that uh, Netflix show Order uh, the October Faction? I don't even know if it sounds familiar. Was, it was, it like, a, was that the werewolf? Was yes. That, were there werewolves involved? Okay, no, I didn't see it. Werewolves and vampires and all kinds of shit. It was all kind of crazy stuff. That was really good, and the they just canceled alter carbon was really good they canceled that um the magicians um, they didn't really cancel but i like that show yeah there 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 there's so many like that um, the order that was another good one i mean honestly i know that i know some people who hated this but i i was really i was really digging raised by wolves on hbo max yeah really interesting um uh it was uh, it's like i said to said to my wife it's like i i don't necessarily understand what's going on in terms of like the on the textual plot level but like in terms of like the archetypal level everything was just nesting together so yeah, nicely yeah. and i was I was making a lot of and then they that got the axe too um but you know this is kind of something that i've noticed like it's kind of why i well i don't read as much as i want to um because when you write so much you just don't want to read as much um you just you know you get tired of looking at words but you know even when i do pick up a a novel or something like i can't tell you how many times i've picked up something that looks really good and exciting and i like turn over the back cover and it's like book one of the Swordbringer chronicles (laughs) and it's like i don't want to commit to this like i don't even know if i'm gonna like this and now you're telling me that i'm gonna get a partial story and it's you know um there's something to be said i think about getting in and out with a concise plot that has a beginning middle and an end and not turning it into a franchise with good character development 
with with good character development. You know, I think that's I think that's the the true mark of a of a good brand or a good idea is that like you can come up with an organic idea for a sequel mm-hmm. and you don't have to like leave it on the cliffhanger. And you know, I, I realize that the cliffhanger has, you know, a a long standing history in the era of the serials and stuff and like, you know, um but but at the same time, like I just I want to see a story and a story doesn't end halfway through. <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh that that going back to Alter Carbon, um that's how those books were. They were really good. Uh, when I first read them, first read the first one, it was a concise, it was a story that was wrapped up in the, that one book, right? And the next book was another right. adventure. So you didn't have to wait. I totally agree with what you said. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and even so, like, you know, a lot of these series that have sort of like legacy finales, you know, mm-hmm. like I think of like Deadwood or something um man they so rarely stick the landing you know yeah um, yeah it's really sort of disappointing i have not caught the justified re- uh revival but i do remember justified the series having a, a very satisfying ending in its own regard i've never seen that show oh it's great it's mm-hmm. great that's that's when that's when my love my love affair with timothy oliphant started um he's just perfect him and walton goggins um i like just, him perfect casting and just this you know some seasons are better than other others there are some growing pains um but once you get into those middle seasons like it's just fantastic you know you have to (laughs) this first that first season you have to you you have to sort of excuse the fact that kentucky looks like you know it was shot outside of san bernardino or something because it's it's like oh we're in the holler here and it's like this is not (laughs) what kentucky looks like but you know um no but it's 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 a fantastic series that's cool. I will check that out. Did you ever see that movie, um, American Ultra? No, I heard about it. Um, Walton Goggins I, is in that. He plays a great psychopath. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a, a rash that breaks out whenever I see Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, I don't like him either, and he's annoying in the movie. But <laughs> like, like, but the movie's really good. It's well, I'm, I'll take that back. The movie's really interesting, and it's a funny story. So, okay. I mean, yeah, it's 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 tied into the it's it's a it's an MK Ultra riff, right? It's like my yes. control, yeah, yeah. That and he got programmed to be locked in his town. It's 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 an interesting story, and the fact that Ma- that uh, John Landis's son directed right. it is kind of interesting Max too. Max Landis. Yeah, I mean, there are some people who like every time they show up in a film, I absolutely dig what they're doing, and Goggins is one of them. Oliphant's one of them. Um, Keith David is one of them. Yeah. You know, just these, these, these. Like, I wish that some of these character actors, Keith David or David Keith, Keith, uh, black guy, yeah, David Keith, David Keith, isn't that? Because there's a there's a Keith David. I thought it was Keith. Hold on, fire up the Google machine. Keith David. Maybe you're right. You are right. I'm wrong. Yeah, Keith David. Got it. Damn two first name people. (laughs) But um. (laughs) But well, it's like, like sort of like the Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman thing, right? Yes, it's, exactly. Or uh, um, there's another one too, um, uh, Dermot Mulrooney, and <laughs> <laughs> I forget the other guy. But yeah, I mean, there's some, you know, just I, I love I'm, that's that's the kind of film goer that I am. Like, you, I could care less about the the top the top level of billing on a film. It's like, tell me who's, tell me who's like four deep into the 
four deep into the credits there. Um, Sorry. You're good. Is uh, Dylan McDermott. <laughs> Dylan McDermott. The Saturday Night Live what? did yeah. a did a like a game show. Uh, who is is this Dylan McDermott or Der- I forget the best name? Dermot Dermot Mulrooney. <laughs> Dylan Dermot Mulrooney. <laughs> they yeah. look a lot alike, and I just go back and forth. It's funny. Yeah, I put it in the live chat for anyone who's listening. So uh, let's talk about your new book. All right. Yeah, speaking of things that have a beginning, middle, and a dadgum end, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There you, go. you know, it's kind of funny, Jerry. I um, This is like my eighth book now, and amongst a lot of friends and family, you'd think this was my first in terms of, like, their interest. Oh, you wrote a real book, like a fun book. Exactly. I've, yeah. I've run into um, that myself. Yeah. Um, But uh, Them Old Ways Never Died. Um, I uh, it was... So the reason that I hadn't written fiction before is because the sort of fiction that I wanted to write, I didn't, um, I didn't know if I had the capacity to pull off. Um, you know, um, I, I know that, uh, you know, I, I, the sort of horror films that I like to see, and I'm not even sure this book constitutes horror, but this is a good example. The sort of horror films that I like to see, like the monster isn't the monster, you know, and I know that sounds kind of trite, but like, I think if somebody who's done a really good consistent job of this is um Jordan Peele and uh what's his name, right? Jordan Peele? Why am I having a, a brain blank? Key? The other guy? No, no, no. Um yeah, Jordan Peele. Duh, yeah, okay. Yeah, Jordan Peele. Complete, yeah. The nope um, guy, my, right? My brain got fried. Yeah. Um, and you know, in each of those films, like the the antagonizing force is the thing, but it's also a stand-in for something, you know, different. And that, you know, you can sort of switch out your proper nouns and it'll be, you know, it'll still have some sort of meaning to the character or meaning to what he's trying to say. And that was the sort of thing that I wanted to do that had some sort of like, had some degree of symbolism behind it. And I just didn't know if I could pull it off. And, you know, I'm not still not sure if I did, <laughs> um, but I, 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 I landed on an idea that I thought worked and um, it all came together really quickly. Um, I think I outlined it from December to February and I started writing in March and I was done in May. Um, And just, you know, banging out, banging out as much as I could. I mean, you know, yeah, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say downloaded, but it kind of had that sort of quality. Um, And that's another reason I wanted to do it too, is because, you know, you've got, um, I know enough authors that have told me things like, oh, my character comes and speaks to me and tells me that mm-hmm. I can't do this or I shouldn't be in this situation, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I wanted to experience that because, you know, I, I, I go out looking for paranormal things and they don't tend to happen to me. Right. Um, so I'm like, fine, then I'll do this and sort of treat it like its own little paranormal experience. And it kind of ended up being that I had those, a couple of those moments where things would come to me and I'm like, I have no idea where this is coming from mm-hmm. um would often happen as i f- went to fall asleep which was really obnoxious because i had to <laughs> i had to write it down because if i didn't write it down it would just evaporate yep um but yeah i would have these moments that would just solve problems or i would it would it would be something very much in character that would just it just really did feel like it wasn't coming from me so while i didn't have like you know a, a john constantine moment where like you know any of the characters stepped out and greeted me Maybe I didn't have that. I, I had something that was a little bit odd. But um, well, I didn't necessarily have anything that dramatic happen. I definitely had that sense that it was um, 
it was i was a vector for some of this stuff um and the interesting thing is um there weren't a ton of rewrites um obviously this is like the sixth draft or whatever but in terms of like substantial like oh i need to go back and rewrite this chapter there was only one really big change in that regard and i remember when i was writing it and when i finished it it wasn't the sense that oh i rewrote this and it's better now it was the sense of like oh the transmission was garbled the first time <laughs> it was like oh I, I i had a malfunctioning transmitter that was that was what happened you lost um, your connection to the cloud yeah it kind of felt that way yeah. kind of felt that way that's <clears throat> That, uh, I always think of that as being in the zone. You're in the zone, you're connected, and you can draw upon the the vast knowledge of the universe because everything exists there. And Well, that was that was the thing, too, is, you know, I, I, I was always a big fan of this this Carl Jung thing of, like, you know, uh, ideas have people. People mm -hmm. don't have ideas. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, well, what does that mean, Josh? Like, you say that, put your money where your mouth is. Um, it's absolutely so I did, true. I, I, I did have a lot of that. Did I, yeah, I, I totally... After going through this, I always suspected it was true, but after going through this project, I do feel that it that it is true. Yeah, I think that happened to uh, Grant Morrison too, right? With uh, his his experience of writing the Invisibles. If you've ever yeah, heard that lecture, Grant Morrison had something like that. Neil Gaiman had something like that. Yeah, Gaiman. Um, yeah, um, who's an amazing writer, by the way. His his stuff is just fantastic. I love. Oh, movie. yeah, I, I do too. And you know, I I. I wish I could if, write that well. <laughs> if if American Gods wasn't so long, I'd go back and reread it. But it's so long. Um, I uh, I have an audio book if you'd like to listen to it. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. I might take you up on that. Um, but yeah, um, uh, it, and and you know, and even people like you know Ray Bradbury. I, I read an interview with Ray Bradbury. Um, <laughs> I have a funny Ray Wait. Bradbury story. Go okay, ahead. okay, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. We'll circle back to it. Um, with Ray Bradbury, it was um he in this interview he was talking about how he would come down to his office in the, the small hours and he would just pick one of his books off the shelf and read it and be like i have no idea where this came from and he would just start weeping i'm yeah. like i, I kind of get that like i'm not saying that not saying that what i wrote is on that quality level um by any stretch of the imagination but i kind of get that sort of feeling um that it just comes from some other some other place um which you know is kind of it's why you know we talked about this a little bit at the beginning we sort of alluded to it it's a different beast than the other stuff I write. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my nonfiction, I feel like I'm just collating stuff and, you know, pointing out things that honestly people probably should have pointed out 40 or 50 years ago. But, but, um, but uh, with this, it's like, you know, you're staring at that blank cursor and it's, you know, it's at once it's liberating and um, reassuring because, you know, you've got to wait for it to come to you. But sometimes like it's, it's awfully daunting to be like, where is this going to come from? Um, but it does eventually i think um yeah it's it's tough i remember banging out books back you know 20 years ago when i was writing and just like not having no idea what i'm going to do and then it just comes and my stuff was all non was all non-fiction technical stuff so i mean it's not it's nowhere near like uh writing a novel as i'm now learning i need to go to the bathroom and i don't have a co-host to talk while i'm doing that so <laughs> We're gonna take a break, people. You're you're muted. Maybe I'll capitalize on that as well, right quick. Yeah, we're gonna take a bathroom right. break. We'll be back in like five five minutes. Right. Less five. Bye.
I was holding it in really well, and then it started to rain really loud outside, and it just kind of went crazy. Hey, if you guys have any questions for Josh, put them in chat, and I will ask him when we're done talking about his book. We'll get the show wrapped up. The pause that refreshes. Oh my god, I was I was just, I was just talking about. I was holding it in, like I was going to make it almost, and then it started to pour outside, and all I could hear is rain falling and water. I'm like, oh, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, well, that's cool. So, um, your book. Um, I just started reading it. I apologize. I'm I'm bad that way. Uh. Just from the synopsis alone, I felt that it was started from a semi-autobiographical place. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of me in there. Yeah. Um, uh, Barbara Fisher, um, who edited uh, Ecology of Souls, has the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. She also edited this, and, and we were talking about it. She's like, Rick is like you through a through a glass darkly. I'm like, yeah, that's it's it's kind of like my worst traits dialed up to eleven. Um, but you know, it's it is that thing like, you know, as tried as it is, that write what you know about thing. Yeah, really absolutely. is really is true. You know, so what's so of course it's a it's a book about fairies being a musician living in north georgia and recovery i guess you know it's it's got where you know addiction um uh but uh you know it, it's sort of bit of a chance to to dabble in some of those areas um to a degree that i normally wouldn't and to get really cynical with my own inner dialogue and put that on onto rick but at the same time like you know it's these people do take their own their own sort of life you know, of their own, as we were alluding to, and mm -hmm. you know, th there are some things that uh, are, uh, you know, some of it's me, and some of it's uh, other people I know, and some of it's um, just from heaven knows where. Um, and that was that's the that's the other, that's the other thing, man. When you're writing a fiction book and you share it with friends and family, they're like, "Oh, so and so is so and so, and so and so is so and so." You're like, no, like that might be a jumping off point, but you know, you know, you, you can't. You can't do that one-to-one -one comparison all the time. Um, especially if you're sort of, you know, to the degree that the character will let you molding their actions and thoughts to fit the story. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of that in, me, that in there for me. And, you know, part of the, a big part of the book um, is set in 2020. Um, it is set in the pandemic. And, um, you know, I was lucky in the regard that I... Um, you know, as a musician, I also had this other writing thing that I do, and it gave me an outlet to focus on something else. Um, and I just had so many musician friends who just, that's all they did was music. You know, they would teach and they would play and they would make most of their money playing and they were just like stranded. Um, so I want to sort of memorialize that moment um, for a lot of them. Uh, like I said, I, I got out of it. I, I fared, <laughs> even though it ended in a rehab center, um, I still fared better than... A lot of my friends did um 
because they didn't have that outlet and sort of just sort of be in that that position of stasis and limbo i thought was something like that i really wanted to um that i really wanted to uh immortalize and memorialize um and so that's a lot of rick's that's a lot of rick's thing too is that he's just like he li he lives to perform and he doesn't have that outlet anymore in that time frame and that's sort of i think uh provide that sort of isolation provides fertile ground for a self-destructive spiral and for uh and for you know the spookiness to come out and it starts spookier and gets less spooky as you go along um you know i i kind of really don't know even sometimes how to categorize the book because it starts out as american folk horror and then becomes like dark fantasy or something i think uh towards the end but um why do we, yeah, need, was, we don't need to characterize it it's a book yeah I, yeah no genres are are kind of passe right you know sort of the one thing or the other yeah. yeah um and you know it's been really kind of hard to talk about it um because like with my with my nonfiction stuff it's like you know here are the ideas that i put forth in there you know take a look at the book to see how i got there whereas with this it's like well do you just give away the whole plot like how do you talk about it yeah yeah i, I understand that um but it, it is a journey that the character goes through uh, yeah. it is and you know a, a big part of the the fun i think at least um is seeing the character come to understand what's going on yeah um, and you know it, it, it's, it's a little bit on the long side but i i really wanted to apply a lot of so I, I grew up in sort of a weird household in the sense that like my dad um subscribed to the to the trades like like we had like weekly variety <laughs> delivered <laughs> to our household jeez um, so I was like really into like the the nuts and bolts of filmmaking, even though I've never really done any filmmaking like that in my life. But like, you know, I, when I watch a movie, I'm not watching for the plot or the characters necessarily. You know, all that plays a role. But like, I'm also looking at like how it's shot and like the pacing and things like that, yeah. um, which I have a really keen interest in. So I made it a point that if it's going to be long, it's still got to have that sense of like, um, hitting the right beats at the right portion of the story. So I checked and within like two or three pages, it's like, you know, there's a clear first act. It's, if you take a four act structure, not a three act structure, structure, there's a clear, a clear first act ending a quarter of the way through second act ending halfway through. So it does, it does sort of follow that structure. Um, but you know, also those other lessons that you learn from mm -hmm. being into storytelling and stuff like that, like, um, you know, show don't tell, um things like that you know having characters answer things obliquely and things like that i really wanted to, to play with those it was a lot of fun in that regard um so that was that was something that i sort of have done to try to make the length of it a little bit more palatable and the other thing is that with, i think with the exception of maybe two or three chapters and there are about 50 um something something strange happens in each chapter so there's always you know there's not you know there's not, there's not these big stretches that are just mundane boring like something strange is is almost guaranteed to happen in every chapter so that's right that was part of it too can you talk about some of the odd things that happened to you, you said some things i forgot how you stated it but you had some semi-paranormal activity or or super well, i don't know i forgot how what you actually no, no, I, 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 think, I think i know what you're getting at so so there was um there was a uh there was the, the thing that i was talking about where like you know sort of i had the the characters saying things to me and 
plot points resolving themselves on the verge of sleep and um also uh uh the idea that you know i was getting the transmission wrong when i had had mm -hmm. written it improperly mm -hmm. the first time through but also um there was a moment um where there's a character named bora um who um uh, you know i describe her in the book and and she's a pharmacist um and uh i did pull up to my pharmacy to get a prescription through the drive-thru one day and there was a, a lady working behind the counter of the pharmacy who handed my prescriptions to me who i'll be damned if it didn't resemble bora <laughs> she, she did, sorry she didn't resemble bora i say it like it was a tulpa or something but like I'll be, you know it looked a lot like bora um i was envisioned and and um oddly enough um so i haven't been i haven't seen this lady at that pharmacy since then and i don't know if that's it's not something that you know you just necessarily ask yeah. your pharmacist yeah, yeah. but um but you know i haven't i haven't seen her since then so i'm kind of waiting for her to show back up but it's been a couple of months now um but uh and this uh this lady who um who handed me my prescriptions that day um again looked like bora was working at the pharmacy um and was wearing uh like an old soviet ushanka hat oh, really? <laughs> which is like really sort of out of place because this was like this is like man this is oh probably march or something so it wasn't super wasn't super uh, super cold down here no any search of the imagination um and so like that that hat winds up on on bora in my book at one point it's sort of a nod to that moment <laughs> um that's awesome but yeah so so that was like the closest thing that i got to a character stepping out and i'm not sure if it was or it wasn't i kind of don't want to know if she's a real person who works there because i want to have it in my my head canon as the as they say yeah absolutely um, that it was that it was something strange yeah i i think those kind of experiences if you tend not to brush them off will just reinforce the next ones even more so yeah and that's that's the thing that really sort of has boggled my mind about this experience is like having sort of interactions with let's call it the imaginal um i'm really astounded at some of these skeptical authors that I know who write fiction who don't think that that's a paranormal thing to like have that interaction with with the imaginal realm you know and have that sort of I mean even George R. R. Martin talks about this like trying to put um Tyrion into a scene and Tyrion being like no you can't do that <laughs> like and he would try to do it and it just wouldn't it wouldn't work on the page and I'm like that's how can you not see that as something like at least you know coming right up to being paranormal if not full-blown paranormal i don't know how you, how you do that um, you know but what is paranormal it's just reality right, we right. haven't we don't understand right i, I think right. this goes back to that whole great awakening thing we were talking about earlier i don't remember if that was on or off but um uh, the show but uh what if this this aspect of of reality is is now becoming more apparent to us that those kind of things used to be commonplace and we've just lost that connection or ability or what have you, or it's, it's blotted out by being, you know, jammed with Wi-Fi all day, you know, who I, knows? I think that there's something like that happening. I mean, I, I, I hear it from too many disparate sources. Um, so there's number one, like the, in, in, the intuition that, you and I both have that something is something squirrely is going on that's yeah. sort of like metaphysical, right? Um, but also, you know, um, 
you've got this resurgence in paganism and astrology. I mean, I, I thought that the magical renaissance was sort of overblown until I ran into a, um, until I ran into a magic shop, not like, you know, tricks, but like, you know, magical practitioner, mm -hmm. a magic shop in like 15 miles outside of uh, Jacksonville, North Carolina, which is like, you know, uh, military town. And it's like, like trailer parks and pine woods and like homes. And then there's this on a Wednesday in you know, in the middle of late summer, on a Wednesday afternoon, the parking lot of this magic shop is just packed. And wow. I'm like, I have to pull in and go, and I go inside and it's, it's, yeah, there's a ton of people there buying this stuff. So like, there's that sense, like even in some place, I mean, you know, if this was, I don't know, you know, downtown New Orleans or Salem or, or even like anywhere near to a, to a, a larger yeah. um, metropolitan area, like it would make sense, but like Jacksonville, like are you kidding me. Um, so like there's that and uh and then there's also you know um there's some some fairy groups that I'm a part of that there's this apparently this consensus in the fairy communities the people who believe that they work with these spirits that the veil is thinning and that there are more intrusions yep. from the other world. Yep. I've been hearing that as well. Um and then like you know that that is one of those things that sort of gives me pause with the whole disclosure thing, right? You know, like yep. maybe there is maybe this will be a more fruitful disclosure season <laughs> yeah uh, th real. than we've seen in the past you know absolutely um, uh so yeah it does give me that sense um and i don't know if you know there's i'm sure that there's a psychosocial angle that you could put forth that you know just we all feel this instability in the world and we're kind of like eh, what's gonna happen and so we're sort of retreating back to our superstitions, but I think that there, there's something else at play. Um, and I think I, it's you know, sort of what happens. I think it's sort of what happens on these, you know, inflections of, of, uh, you know, one world power seeding to another and mm -hmm. things like that. I think that's just sort of what happens in this sort of liminal period. Um, one of the, the background conversations around this whole idea is that, um, Oh, what was I going to say now? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I'll think of it. I should have written it down. Well, there's something to it, and I think you know. I think no, it's there really, is absolutely. I think it's. I think it's really fascinating I to remember. see. Okay, then I'll, okay, I'll. I won't, I won't uh, <laughs> we'll pontificate here, and I'll, I won't filibuster, and I'll let you. So one of the background conversation topics of conversation around this whole thinning veil thing is that. Uh, it goes back far, but like this, there's this idea that the, what we call the astral plane, the, some will refer to as the lower fourth dimension. There's a lot of names for it. Whatever it is, is a construct that is somehow controlled and that this veil thinning that we're experiencing is actually the, that, that dimension, if you will, merging with our current dimension and that's the thinness is where they're the merge point and at those points is where this these liminal spaces if you will are where this nonsense i'm not saying i pull up to this i'm just saying this is one of the I mean, ideas out there you know there have been some really prominent mandela effects that make me believe that that might something like that might be going on oh yeah you know, i've had like, one myself well the, the ones that stick with me 
well there are a couple that stick with me the, the shazam thing the shazam one stuck with me <laughs> yep the the one that the one that i am am i there there there's one that i really can't get my head around which is the one from uh moonraker the teeth um, with the braces with it with the braces yeah because that's the joke like that's the joke and i even i even messaged someone on a james bond podcast and who had mentioned that i'm like no it's not it's not a thing. And they're like, yeah, it is. It's like I run a James Bond podcast. Of course, I know that, that joke in Moonraker. And then I went back and like, oh my god. Um, and then the other one is this K in Chick Fil A. Like, I don't ever remember. I remember it being C H I C dash F I L dash A. I kind of remember that. And then the and main... I remember. I remember thinking it was a stupid way to spell Chick Fil A. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Um, um, I think yeah. the ones around corporate branding and logos probably aren't very significant. Well, you know, th- th- I read a newspaper article where they reached back to, well, so, so yeah, caveat. I read a newspaper article where, where they reached back to uh, like the de- marketing department at Chick-fil-A and they said that it was always C-H-I-C-K. But I did also see, um, I guess it was an Instagram reel of a bunch of like, Local press, especially in the South, that was spelling it C-H-I-C-F-I-L-A. But I still remember signage without the K. But anyway, neither here nor there. See, I had never learned of Chick-fil-A till 2001 or two, like when I moved to Georgia. I'm, so I'm, I, in, I'm, in, I'm indifferent on Chick-fil-A. I want to go to Bojangles instead. I like Bojangles. Yeah. Their pimento yeah. cheese uh, chick, chicken yeah. filet biscuit's really good. Yeah. So um, I wanted to also mention to you that George Hansen was a guest on THC recently, if you haven't heard that. Oh, wow. Okay. He, he hasn't been doing many, um, he hasn't no. been doing many interviews. Lately. I know. Yeah. I know. But they talk about his book, the trickster book and all that. So, I mean, that's, I know <clears throat> you like Greg's work. He, and, well, uh, well, you know, that, that, um, that book, the, uh, the trickster and the paranormal is just one of those that has endured and it has you know it has remained evergreen (laughs) you know and it's one of those books like i keep waiting for something to to sort of dispel an aspect of it and it just doesn't happen you know it's just it's um i see so many things in the broader phenomenon as a whole that um seem to confirm a lot of the things that he said in that book and i'm like yep that's just it's one of those books that you know, it might even be more consistent in that regard than Demonic Re- Demonic Reality, which is a book that I also would also awesome, excellent um, book. But like, but like Hansen's thing just seems seems like he nailed it. He nailed a lot of the aspects behind this stuff. He did. Uh, what else did I have on my list here? I'll tell you my Bradbury story. <clears throat> oh, okay. I don't remember where I read this, but I I swear to God I read this in a book, and in this book. And I can't, I cannot find a reference to it anymore. And I can't find anything online about it. It was like in the seventies when I was a teenager, I was in grade school. I probably read this or maybe freshman high school. Um, it was a book about Brooklyn, New York or Queens. I forget. And Penn and Teller were just getting started in it. It was like, it wasn't an auto, it wasn't about them per se, but they were in it as characters. And one or both of them were at a party with Ray Bradbury and he was really fucked up. And apparently he came up to one of these characters with a box of milk duds 
or the character had milk duds. I don't remember who had the milk duds, but Ray Bradbury came up to this person and said, you know, when I was a kid, we used to call these cunts. <laughs> okay. That's the story. <laughs> that is that story. That, okay. That anecdote is burned in my mind, and I cannot find a reference for it anywhere. Um. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a new one to me. Um, <laughs> huh. I, I I have no idea. I know I know there was a book called Penn and Teller Get Killed. It could have been I mean, in that book. I don't imagine you would find a reference to that anywhere. I can't. Oh, I can't even find any books where Penn and Teller are wow. the main character. You know. Well, it's just a bizarre story, and I, I swear yeah. to God, I read it somewhere. I mean, it was in a book. Because uh, mm. I read almost everything when I was a kid. It was crazy. It's cool. So, um, we got 10 minutes left. What's uh, what's on the horizon for you? You got three projects um, mentioned? Yeah, I got three projects, and they're all, um, they're all co-authored projects. So, um, I am happy about them being co-authored projects because um it's not all I, you well yeah and you know it's not like i'm i'm displacing them and telling them to do more work although in one instance they've done so much more work than i have and i feel really sheepish about it and i need to pick up my slack um but uh you know it's just it's nice to to have someone else to bounce ideas off of and it's nice to to know that um there'll be another set of eyes on it too i mean that's that's the worst thing yeah. about writing um writing in a vacuum well it's it's not even that so like the worst thing about writing long books and i i don't really want to write long books it's just i'm just writing what i write but like in the amount of time that it takes me to proofread two hundred sixty thousand words of ecology of souls like if i'd written something that's eighty thousand words i could have done it multiple times so um so you're constantly you know if you're obsessive compulsive like i am diagnosed um you sort of end up just anticipating more typos and more errors and more things going wrong. So it's going to be nice to just sort of share that process with someone, but they're um, three pretty different projects and I am going to sort of remain coy about them since they are co-authored because I don't really know how much we've announced it's one way or the other. It's but, fine. Um, I'm not looking for scoops. I just want to know what's um, going on. But yeah, so I'm returning and I'm, I'm sort of doing the research for all three at once. So Good. that, you know, um, it just, that just felt like the smart thing to do as opposed to going back through all my books again, and you know, looking at it three separate times um so i feel a little bit scattered in that regard but i'm really excited about all three of them um they're all very different and uh, i think that um i think they'll bring something new to the table and it's you know it's kind of a i i i'm still not sure how well received them old ways never died is um you know uh it seems to be selling pretty well but uh I don't necessarily think people are more are clamoring for more Joshua Cutchin fiction. So we'll see if I ever return to that. I kind of have one or two more ideas that I think would be interesting and fun, but uh, I really did enjoy how I just enjoyed the process. It was just a nice breath of fresh air. And that's cool. really the only thing that I felt, felt like I could do after ecology of souls, since it was so long and, you know, in depth. Um, excellent. You could always so, go yeah. the Richard Bachman route. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess, I guess. Um, but uh, I, w I wouldn't i mean I... no i mean I... yeah I, I i here's the other thing like even even what i've sold of 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 them old ways never died i would have sold like a tenth of that if it didn't if it wasn't like you know for me and i have a, an True. audience and a fan base and people who are interested in reading this stuff so um 
yeah, it was a grand experiment. And, you know, I don't have, um, what's, what's the phrase that I keep on using? I don't have any expectations for the book, but I have aspirations for it. Yeah. So Excellent. I'm interested. There are a couple of people that I'm really interested to get their feedback on and I'm going to sort of gauge, um, what they say from that, but oh, uh, I can't wait to finish it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. And I have some uh, some upcoming events, um, one of which has not been announced yet. So I will um, abstain on on announcing that one yet. Okay. But it should be happening uh, uh, early December. Um, but the other one that is coming up right around the corner um, is Strange Realities 2023. Yep, Nashville. In Nashville. Yep, in Nashville, Tennessee with Adam Sain. S-I-R. Um, yep strange realities conference.com that's november 3rd through 5th and uh yeah i'm really looking forward to it it's always a really good time a lot of good time baked in to spend time together and i uh, would love to see anybody any of the listeners yeah. there or, yeah i had a great time the year i went on 2019 it was 20 that was 2019 yeah Gosh, yeah that's that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at this, you know, coming back to it again this year. I'm like, this is the fifth year. Like we did a remote year for 2020, and right. I'm like, man, it does not feel like five years. But then I think about, you know, all that's changed since then, and yeah, I know. it was five years. Yeah, I was going to speak at the 2021. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. And uh, after they went virtual, I I dipped. I'm like, no, I don't want to do virtual. I wanted to actually speak in person. Yeah, I mean, I just think that, you know, there's there's sort of a big push for doing virtual conferences. And if you can't make it, I totally get that. And I'm not I'm not bagging on any, anybody sure. who has done a virtual conference, because I think it's a really good way and a, a much more cost effective way to get a bunch of different speakers in. And it's a great idea for that, you know, in that regard. But, but, but. there is there is something about like being in the same room with people and the energy and like you know getting yes. to chat with them afterwards yes. and getting to the hang you know the hang it's all about the hang absolutely um that i think you just can't replicate um digitally so it has to it has to be done in meat space i agree i agree so uh, i had a couple questions from the live chat if you don't mind and then yeah. i will let you go um do you differentiate between fairies and the fae? No. Um, and honestly, like, I could probably be a little bit more discriminating with my fairy taxonomy. I mean, but it gets so region specific mm -hmm. um, in terms of the different names that people sort of call these things. What I what I tend to do is I tend to diff I tend to sort of default back onto some of these categories that some folklorists have talked about. So you've got, you know, Catherine Briggs divided fairies into um, solitary fairies like leprechauns and, and trooping fairies, like, you know, these fairies that would march across the, the landscape. Um, but you can also throw under that, like, you know, household spirits, which are sometimes fairies. And there's an entire conversation, you know, to be had on exactly how you spell fairy. But for me, I just sort of lump them all together. And I honestly, I, I kind of lump in, you know, uh, Trolls, ogres, giants, mermaids, etc. Because you'll see a lot of different things in those lore that is, you know, straight out of, of fairy lore. It's better to think of that all as a Venn diagram than it is these sort of discrete, you know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, what else we got here? What was the coolest place or venue that you have ever played music? Well, you know, I, I joked one time. Um, and this is this isn't as prestigious as it sounds, but I joked one time that I'm probably 
one of the only tuba players to have both played in Carnegie Hall and in Green Hall, mm -hmm. Texas. <laughs> you know, so mm -hmm. I did. I think the Carnegie Hall thing isn't as prestigious as it sounds. I, I played there, and it was still a great opportunity. I'm so grateful for it. But my my high school wind ensemble played there um, back when I was a student. Um, but I also, um, you know, played in one of the most famous beer halls in Texas, in Green Hall. And you That's know, awesome. I, I um, my uh, you know, I, I grew up listening to. Uh, I grew up with my, with my parents playing that uh, wonderful Jerry Jeff Walker album from Green Hall. So, you know, <laughs> I, I got a chance to play there as well. So I, I, that's that's sort of my go-to response for that. You know. Excellent. All right. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'll read this. In which corners of the U.S. do you think the fairies are most concentrated? Well, um it depends on how you want to approach that question. You know, like if you mean, if you're looking for something that is of that Western European flavor, you're best going to the, to the Northeast, um, you know, uh, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, especially, but also, you know, Massachusetts, that area, that's the one part of the world. Well, there's another conversation to be had on this too, yeah. but like <laughs> the, the fairy belief from Western Europe was imported best from there. Now, mm -hmm. having said that, some of that scholarship, I think, is going to be challenged in a, in a really big way with um, Morgan Daimler's work. Morgan is writing a new book on fairy belief in North America, and oh. I've even noticed it a bit myself, where, where you'll find um, Cornish Tommyknocker lore preserved all the way as far west as, like, Montana. Um, but all this is, all that, you know, even saying that sort of um, is a bit disingenuous because you've got all this indigenous belief, and there's so much of... Um, I think I think I read a, a survey. I've mentioned Ecology of Souls, and I'm, I'm getting this statistic wrong, but it's something like this overwhelming majority of like 80% of the tribes here in North America believed in some form of, of little people. Um, I will say uh, that I'm quite struck by the resemblance of the resemblance of uh, Cherokee belief to a lot of that western european belief um you know in in the southeast uh the ancestral home of the cherokee you see a lot of the things that are just like plucked right out of the western european folklore mm. down to missing time and an association with um with earthworks um, mm. by no means exclusive to the cherokee because you'll find you know associations between little people and ruins and earthworks etc elsewhere but it's just such a startling match um for that Western European stuff that it really raises in my mind only one of two possibilities. Um, you know, it's, it's either, um, you know, it's either supernatural in some sense, you know, people are objectively seeing the similar things in both areas or it's an egregore or something. It's somehow supernatural or there's a degree of cultural contamination from these early ethnographers who, um, you know, who just sort of like inserted that, from their knowledge of Western European fairy folk. Right. It's got to be one of those two things because it's so specific. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this, yeah. So I would say the Southeastern U.S. is is up there, um, even though I haven't had, unfortunately, <laughs> too many experiences in that regard myself. Too many yeah. yet. Yeah. Uh, that you made me think of the Hopi Indians with the ant people. Yeah, I'm not sure if the ant people was a reference to size. I'm not sure. Um, no, but they were underground dwellers, right? Who, but but yeah, it's the same. It's it's that same, same suite trope, of things. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Underground. Yep. Yep. 
That's perhaps perhaps an older race, which you know, um, which you'll see in some of the more problematic European literature, but you'll also see referenced, you know, in a lot of the indigenous uh, indigenous myths and legends too about there being, you know, uh, perhaps you know the, the fae folk were here before us and they do serve in some sort of ancestral capacity. You'll find some references to that. Yeah. No, it all makes sense to it. I was <laughs> told a, I was telling a friend of mine this that the, a lot of this stuff we'll probably never have answers to. No, <laughs> and uh, it, when we die, we'll either find out, we'll understand, or we won't care. <laughs> well, well, well. How's this for how's this for a parting shot? Um, if you're looking for answers to this stuff, I think you're doing it wrong. Like, I don't think that's what we're being called to do when we're being asked to look at this stuff mm -hmm. like studying any of these things is a is its own form of personal alchemy there's a quote that uh, the french ufologist ami michel said and i'm not sure of the exact wording but it's something to the extent of uh studying ufos is the only topic where you start out looking at things in the sky and you end up reading texts by arab mystics <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah that's that's totally what it is it's and you know you know that might be um to a degree the the purpose of these things you know i'm constantly amazed how my world is re-enchanted by thinking about these things you know i'll i'll be uh, i was just saying this the other night to someone like i'll be at a a museum and i'll be in one of the most boring sections like the geology section or something and i'll see something and it'll have this sort of you know six degrees of kevin bacon or should i say six degrees of ufology um and it'll just make it more interesting to me and you know and maybe that's a cheat and maybe that's a hack but i i think that you know that might be what we're being called to do when we when we look at these things yeah that's a great parting shot well thank you so much for putting up with my nonsense and oh it's it's great great catching up it is good catching up uh why don't you tell everyone where they could find you Joshua Cutchin.com, J O S H U A C U T C H I N.com. And uh, there's links to all that stuff, uh, everything about me there. Um, and, uh, you know, the I have copies of Ecology of Souls and copies of Them Old Ways Never Died uh, that you can get directly from me signed. Oh, cool. I will definitely buy them. I'm going to get that Ecology of Souls. After I finish this, I'll, I'll buy that. All right. Yeah, just, uh, just, just drop me a line. I will. I will. <laughs> um great well great and people if you're anywhere near nashville october or when is it Stranger it's later Islanders? this year it's november 3rd through 5th okay november 3rd through 5th if you're anywhere nashville near nashville uh definitely tr go check out strange realities it's a fantastic conference it's uh it's structured but informal it's a good way to put it yeah it's a good way to put and it. uh it's it's just it's just a good time it's a good time <laughs> to get together with people like-minded people who aren't you know yeah, to, to, to give you an idea of the, the conference, it's the only conference that I know where the lectures are BYOB. Like, you yes. can, you can yes. bring your own bottle of whatever and just sit there and, and have a drink while you're listening to lectures. And, and you could sit in the back or in the front or you could stand. It doesn't matter. Okay. Yep. Yep. But they did, uh, Adam and Surfield did a great job uh, putting that together, and I commend them. So, anyway, Josh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, I love talking to you. Anytime you want to come back and talk. Thanks. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot right. of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be back. Uh, I think. <laughs> so we rec we recorded uh, a podcast with Dr. Andrew Kaufman. Uh, 
I'm not familiar with him. He's a terrain theorist. Uh, that, I think, is going to be aired next Wednesday night, so it's a pre-record. And then I think we'll be back at the end of the month with Melissa Martell, if I can get her book. So looking forward to that. Anyway, thanks, yeah. Josh. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Nish, if you're listening. Hope your day goes better, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Take care.